Hello, everyone, and welcome to Paranormal Roundtable, PRT for short. I'm your host, Josh Turner, and with me tonight is my co-host, Barton Nunley. You want to say hi, Barton? Hey, everyone. Hope you're doing well. And uh, I, I personally don't really want everyone to do well. I want you to do great. But Barton, you know, he's one of those, you know, he kind of falls by the median type guys. But anyway... Uh, I'm messing with you, Barton, dude. You, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> joking. Barton wishes everyone well, and so do I. Guy, huh? And we have a guest tonight who's going to be with us. I'm going to introduce him in a second here. But first, I need to get to uh, a couple things here. Barton has a new group. I wanted to uh, let him announce that. You you want to talk about that just for a second? Sure. It's uh, in Humanoids with Barton only. Everybody come on in and join if you if you like. And we talk about you know all the paranormal and the humanoid stuff. So you'll have a good time. So join in. Absolutely. And then my group is Paranormal Roundtable, and then my wife's group is Paranormal Lounge. And then together we have Paranormal uh, Prayer Group, and then the Wolf PRT fan page, which apparently uh, rubs people wrong or something. They're angry because I have a fan page. I didn't create that. I don't staff it or manage it. That's Phil Stern, Chris Clough, Curtis Turner. Those are the guys responsible for all the shenanigans, and they're not me. So apparently there's some sort of like backlash because I'm, I'm some sort of egomaniac because I have a fan page. Okay, well, whatever. Um, <laughs> the egomaniac part, that's, that's so true. Scary. That really is true. Everybody knows I'm quite arrogant and uh, I'm swaggering around pretty much. That's how I am. But um, anyway, go to those pages and, and, and join up and join up with Barton. Barton, I'm in there. I'm with him in the in Humanoids with Barton Nunley. Like I keep saying, in Humanoids is the best uh, book ever written when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, except for maybe a couple of Linda's Thanks, books, uh, hunting the American werewolf. I was saying that was like my number two. I think, I don't know, maybe tied in there because come on, it's Linda Godfrey. Right. So Linda is an old friend of mine. Yeah. So I just gotta... to be in that category is, a, is an honor for me, you know, honor to be thought of like that. Oh, I, well, I know how highly she thinks of you. I mean, I, I've been on the phone when, when, when she would talk about you, she would always gush, you know, about you. She always talks real highly of you. Right. So. Uh, so anyway, we're going to introduce our guest here, Josh Turner, PRT podcast.com, Josh Turner, PRT podcast.com. Send me your stories. Also hit me up on Facebook messenger, but please let me know that you're a friend of the show and of, and so that I can approve you. Uh, the other thing, uh, I'm on Instagram at Josh Turner, nine forty. Josh Turner, nine forty, And that nine forty doesn't mean anything. Somebody was like nine plus four is 13. You know, and they, they started sending me all this stuff about it's the devil or some stuff. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't choose that handle. I did I did not choose that handle. Um, that's just what it, that's just what they gave me. So it's like so freaking weird. Like every time I turn around, somebody's trying to find some, some, some weird something, you know, um, these people can eat alphabet soup and find the devil in it. I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that, but anyways, so that being said, I'm going to introduce my guest. Um, Ron, you want to say hello? I will say hello. Hello there, gentlemen. How's everything tonight? Good, good. Great, Ron. I'm excited. To talk uh, to it's you been again. a while since we both be exactly that's what I was going to say, Barton. It's been a while since we've been able to communicate and I'll have both of you guys in the same room virtually, but you know, it's still kind of cool. Yeah. We enjoyed having you Ron, at the conference, yeah, Ron. Yeah. I had a great time as well, too. Uh, I think everybody that was in attendance there had a great time, and uh, and hopefully this happens again. Um, we're supposed to do it. Uh, me and Barton are going to be at the Texas Bigfoot Conference um, October 14th, 15th, and 16th with Ken Gerhardt 
Um, our friend Ann Celine is going to be coming down. Bigfoot Rob, Michigan Rob. Um, I believe Tex from Texas uh, Front Porch is going to be there. And so is uh, Lyle Blackburn. A bunch of our friends are going to be. Again, Craig Woolheater's putting it on. I'm a sponsor. Um, PRT is a proud sponsor of the Texas Bigfoot Conference. So if anybody's in the area, show up. Or if not, just 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 come. To, uh, Ron, we'd love to have you there too. I don't know how feasible that would be for you, but if you could do it, that'd be great. I'll tell you what, keep me in mind for next year. How does that sound? <laughs> and and of course you gotta remember now, Barton, he's he's a papaw. Is it papaw or peepaw? What do they call you? Oh papaw. Papaw. So so Barton can only right. stay away for so long and then he's gotta go back and be be papaw. The other day I was on the phone with him and right. somebody was demanding his attention and he needed to get off of that phone. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. I'm a grandfather as well, too. My uh, granddaughter is uh, two years old. It's a life-changing moment whenever that happens. Uh, but it's really something, and I can see, Barton, I can see why you're a doting grandfather. Uh, I didn't know that you could have these kind of feelings for another little creature. It's completely different whenever you have a kid, you know. This is something right. you know, even extra special. That's yeah, what my mom never, used to you say. You believe that you can love a child as much as you love your own child, right? That's when right. Your grandchildren are born. You know that that was just foolish thinking. That's right. That's right. I used to resent my mom for loving my nieces and nephews more than me. I was like, "What?" Uh -huh. yeah, but no, nah, I'm just kidding. I was just like, I got them back though. Like they'd be playing a game, be like, "What level are you on?" Nine. It took me all day to get her. Unplug it. Click. Up. Oh, sorry. I guess. That's oh. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I'm yeah. just. Nah, man. I've been I've been a good uncle to my to my nephews and my nieces. They all like me a lot, dude. Honestly, they always come to me with everything. I find out everything before my siblings do. And that's how it's. Yeah, I'm that uncle that they'll tell that. Hey, you know, can I tell you something? Um, important stuff too, and then they'll be like, "Why didn't they come to me?" Because uh, of the way you're overreacting right now is probably why they didn't. That's right. Well, I think that there's something going to be special about having a grandchild because I can I can see the mistakes that I made as a father. You know, not not, not mistakes, but things that I neglected that I should have uh, paid extra special attention to. So now right. in the world of the paranormal and the cryptids, I'm getting this child introduced immediately. So I'm not going to go wrong there. Right. Yep. Well, I think you guys are both uh, stand-up guys. I think you guys will make are going to make uh, great great grand grandfathers. Uh, <laughs> you're going to live a long time, hopefully. Um, I do want to make mention though of the passing of Car of Carrie Arnold. Um, I don't know as of when this is going to air, but uh, my condolences to his family, Mark Hensley, another person that passed away. Um, the paranormal communities it was hit with a, a few losses there. Um, so I just wanted to say my condolences. So that being said, yeah, mine Ron. Okay. Now Ron, me and Ken were having a conversation about you before the conference. And I told him, I said, what do you think about Ron Murphy? He said, Ron is great. Ron does a great presentation. He's got a lot of great material. He's written a lot of good books. And when I mentioned, when I, when I talked to Nick Redfern, Lyle, everybody about you, the same thing across the board, everybody has a high opinion of you. You are very intelligent, very scholarly. You're very educated. And I thought you did a great job at the conference. And, you know, I know that you sold a lot of books along with everyone else. And uh, I had a couple people message me saying, hey, man, I really like Ron's books. You know, you got The Vampire. You got all these other books that you've written. So <clears throat> interviewing you, or <laughs> we don't really do interviews. We do discussions. But me and Barton were talking, and we were like, how do we approach 
Ron, because <laughs> you have so much. You and Chad Lewis have so much stuff. We were like, how do we, let's like a big burger. What do we take the bite out of first? So I guess we could start with this. Um, I'm kind of a dog man guy. You know, do you want to go with Bigfoot, dog man, or what do you want to do, Ron? What direction you are know, you going in? I, I said we go with dog man because that's like the most popular cryptid out there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I came on, I was going through my uh, Facebook nudes, news feeds and uh, it was just, I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just filled with people uh, talking about the dog man. So I think that is really, you know, that's really something that we do need to discuss in the world of the paranormal because um, a lot of people think that it's the new kid on the block, but actually mm-hmm. this has been around for a while. The idea of the dog man or some, some sort of creature that has a, 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 a combination of both, uh, you know, a man-like qualities as well as canine-like qualities as well. Yeah. And, and as far as this creature is concerned, <clears throat> you called it a cryptid. Now, Barton has taken to calling it an inhumanoid. And now our, our friend Albert Rosala is kind of the same thing. He calls all these things humanoids or inhumanoids. And so I was wondering, like, where you are as far as that. Because, I mean, like, Ken, Ken you know, he, he likes to say that it, it's, it's cryptozoology. It's technically not a cryptid. And I agree with that. Um, because it's it's not a cryptid. Yeah. So me and Lyle kind of had that same conversation. I think we're all kind of in the same boat, but the, the common term has become, it's become popular to call them all cryptids, but it it would be like if Mothman was a cryptid, it's like an undiscovered species of animal, which I don't think Mothman or Dogman are undiscovered species of animal. And I would take it a step further to say that most of Bigfoot uh, uh, encounters aren't really cryptids either. There's something else to them. Um, and Ron, we've talked a, a little bit about that, not at length like me and Barton have, but we've talked to you some. So what what do you think about that? No, I like the idea of inhumanoid. I think it fits the the spectrum a lot better than calling it a cryptid because, again, like, like Ken Gearhart had suggested, a cryptid means that it would have some sort of basis in biology, that, that we would be able to find traces of it, uh, and it would interact with its environment like any other naturally occurring animal. And that's not what we have going on here. Uh, this is something um, that really seems to be able to sap into that very primal part of who we are as human beings and not only sap into it, but also take advantage of it like very few other uh, nightmares can, right? It, it is able to at times act very human. You know, I, I've, I've gotten reports of it, these things coming up on people's porches and trying to turn doorknobs or knocking mm-hmm. to get in or the sound of, you know, um, a human voice out in the woods calling you. So these things are not in the realm of the zoological whatsoever. So if there, if there's no other animal out there to do it, there's no there's no reason to suspect that an unknown animal is out there doing this kind of a thing. So I think the idea of an inhumanoid is really a great kind of category for these creatures. Now, that being said, what do we do with the inhumanoid? We have to des- decide where it comes from, what its origin is, what its genesis is, is it flesh and blood? Is this something that we can track? Is this something that is of even of our world? And that's the kind of discussion that we really have to have because, and again, I agree with you as too, Josh, about the Bigfoot sightings. Um, probably 50% of Bigfoot sightings that I take or that I investigate don't have a true footing 
in our world. There's something else going on there as well, too. It's blurring the lines like I've never seen before. And one of the reasons why I think that these things are are starting to blur the lines and not make any kind of rational sense anymore is because there's a lot more people out there that are intellectually looking at this problem. They're not just going out there and beating on trees and saying that they're hearing howls and all, you know, automatically making that kind of uh, conclusion or that connection. Um, there are people out there that are having experiences in the woods that they have no idea what they're dealing with, right? And we talked before, there's no experts in this field. And I'm not sure if we could ever get an expert in these kind of cryptids, these kind of inhumanoids, because they really don't make any kind of rational sense to, to become an expert on. I mean, you can become an expert on the history of them, uh, you know, the folklore of them. But at the end of the day, we really have no idea what we're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah, and, and some exactly. of these uh, accounts, I was on the phone earlier with uh, <clears throat> an individual who I took her stories. She has a lot of Bigfoot stories and Dogman stories, and I put them, I'm putting them in my book. And one of the things that she mentioned to me, though, that she's been having encounters with Bigfoot all of her life. And I told her, I said, there are a couple different camps when it comes to Dogman and a couple different camps when it comes to Bigfoot. Now, of course, I mean, let's put let's just divide it into the two main camps because there's a bunch of splinter groups that have all kinds of weird thoughts and ideas. But the main camp is flesh and blood versus ethereal. But I, I think that they're both correct. You just don't see it um, because I think that these things can, can be in our world and they take on flesh and blood form. It's like being born into this world. We're a, in my opinion, we're a spirit that becomes a you know a a body. We take on a body, and it's kind of like our vessel, our vehicle. I think these creatures do the same thing. It's just it's just automatic, because they come from another plane. Um, <clears throat> but this 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 person was telling me that she had been interviewed by another researcher not too long ago, and he kind of scoffed at the idea that that she had had all these Bigfoot encounters. And I told her, I said, if they are a completely flesh and blood uh, researcher, they're not going to believe that you would have more than one encounter. They're just not. It's very rare that they're going to believe. They, they think that it's like a chance thing and the chance, and then the odds are like just lightning striking over and over again of you actually. Yeah. Um, and so I told her that I said, that's probably why he was, I'm not going to mention his name. I've never met the guy, so I'm not going to mention his name, but he was, he was rude to her, I guess, kind of, I could say, um, but, but it was just like, it's one of those things where when you, you know, and I, and I talk to like two or three different people a day who will give me, they'll be like, I have had a lifetime of encounters with Bigfoot or, or aliens or, you know, whatever they want to call them, you know, intruders, or they'll tell me that they've had lifetime encounters with, with, with Dogman. And all of this stuff right. could like, you know, when we were talking to Chad Lewis the other day, me and Barton. Um, he was kind of saying the idea that it all comes from the same source is very possible. Um, but they're just different ty types of, you know, they're all denizens of whatever, you know, but they're not, they're not all the same, but they come from the same source. Now, w when we get into the, the, the whole discussion, I know Ron, we've talked a little bit about this. Like we were talking about how in the middle East, some of these creatures are called the Jinn, And then you go to, you know, the British Isles in Ireland and they're called fairies, you know, and then you've got different types. I mean, you have different, you have the seely and the unseely, and you have all these different types of things going on. Um, and, and so I think it goes by region too. 
you know, like what, where, you know, where they exist on a map is just like us, like humans. Right. Mm. I think that's great, a great starting point, And I will tell you why. Um, so for it to make sense on a worldwide platform, uh, these creatures that are called the jinn or the fairy or the little people, the Menehune in Hawaii, you know, mm-hmm. you can even go in different divisions within the United States of all the different things, the puck wedgie and the, uh, you know, and the Bridgewater triangle, mm-hmm. um, in Australia, you have the Mimis and you have the Wangina. So you have all these, these, these entities from around the world that all fit within the same kind of goblin universe, if you will. Um, so I think at the beginning, before we start connecting the dots, we have to kind of lay out a framework and say, well, what is an elemental? Because I think that that's truly one of the more generic terms that we could use that kind of encompasses all these different types of belief systems, okay? But there's something out there in the world itself. There's a natural intelligence, a sentience to the world around us. Um, And once we start going in that direction, we can start kind of deconstructing uh, these particular sightings. So yeah, we were talking about these ideas of the uh, elemental, and it sounds like they're characters made up, you know, of some sort of fantasy world. But when we look at the the history uh, from the Middle Ages up until the Renaissance and even to the Enlightenment, you had, you know, people out there, philosophers, uh, you had people out there uh, that were, you know, the, the precursors to chemists and doctors, uh, and these were the alchemists. And they firmly believed that the idea that the world is imbued with intelligence was just commonplace. Um, they saw that the, the, the water, you know, had a, an intending spirit to it, which is the undine, which makes, you know, the, the, the perfect illusion then to mermaid lore, you know. And then you have the, 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 the air is filled with the sylphs, and then the the, uh, the earth has the intelligence of the gnome within it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think this is kind of crazy. Uh, but one of the, 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 the great uh, progenitors of these ideas uh, was Paracelsus. Uh, and he was one of the first people to recognize that um, that um, mental illnesses were indeed true illnesses and had nothing to do with uh, demon possession. He also believed in the idea of minerals being able to, uh, to cure the body, uh, so much so that he actually uh, discovered and named the mineral zinc. Uh, but he also gave the word gnome to the earth-dwelling creatures. Uh, so he was a man that was uh, definitely a Renaissance man, a man of science, uh, but he also believed very heavily uh, that the uh, the earth around us was filled with intelligent spirits, uh, which he called the elementals. Um, and I think, you know, whenever we go back to the idea of the jinn, uh, these were creatures that were made of flame. Right? Yep. And, uh, and then whenever you go to the... Uh, to the, the Irish folklore and the British Isles, uh, you know, these are the two of the Danon, the, the, the people of the dawn, you know. So you have all this 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 uh, similar type of folklore going on in this. They're, they're part of creation itself. They're actually part of the world itself. And then that can go into another discussion when we talk about the idea of the Gaia theory, that the Earth itself is a living organism. And if that is indeed the case, if we can go that route and say that the Earth is... You know, whenever we talk about Mother Earth, and that is indeed a true statement, 
then we can start understanding how these intelligences kind of work in a symbiotic relationship uh, with the Earth itself. And that's getting pretty close uh, to what the alchemists were getting at as well, too. That if we can somehow know the properties of the Earth, we may get to know the Earth better itself. What do you think? What are your thoughts, though? Like, I mean, <clears throat> like I know that you were you said the gnomes were were within the earth, um, or like the earth's dwelling spirits, and of course the jinn were fire, um, you know the sylphs in the sky, and, and, and do you do you believe that these are all they're like there's basically four elements, and that those are all the races of them, and everything shoots off from them? No, I think that these are attempts at personification into the chaos of the world. Uh, now, even though that might seem a little, you know, a little rustic, um, I think, though, the bottom line is they were hitting very close to home. And whenever we talk about elementals, there's really no way we could describe them. Although, you know what, I never thought about them in relation to uh, uh, races. Uh, and that is very interesting now that you brought that up. Uh, it's very possible that in our distant past, that we knew that there were different types of these creatures out there, and we simply uh, gave them space within our elemental uh, framework. Um, but also, uh, Paracelsus believed in the idea of something called the ether. That's where we get the etheric from. I'm closer to this kind of belief uh, that there is another kind of, not not another kind of world out there, I guess another kind of dimension out there, that we have very little knowledge of, but it's kind of that thing that links everything together. It's very natural, but there's that that division between that world and this world, and occasionally things will seep in and out and back and forth, and whenever that happens, you are getting very close to encounters with fairies. But not only encounters the fairies. I mean, and that's something that we are are talking about from from the Middle Ages, and these people are dealing with things like this that they simply don't understand. But when we talk about things bleeding in from another dimension, then we can start seeing, you know, at least recognizable forms coming out of it, like the poltergeist and different types of ghosts, um, alien visitations. And now as we go by extension into the idea of Bigfoot sightings that make no sense and of course the dog man itself uh the dog man does as we discussed at the very beginning of this it's it's a very fundamental nerve in us as human beings uh we we immediately recognize it because of its humanoid form uh, but we're also um definitely afraid of it um and that seems very odd because from a, an evolutionary standpoint why would be we be afraid of something that is, you know, made up, that's a myth. Uh, it is my theory uh, that these creatures that haunt our nightmares um, were very real to us um, uh, as we were developing as a human species. Um, I know in education, you know, I've been in education for most of my adult life, uh, there's a time in a child's life they're confronted with an obstacle. And how they overcome that obstacle will define them on how they will do for the rest of their life. Um, I firmly believe that we, as a collective humanity, in our infancy, we were confronted by these creatures, these elements, what have you, and we have not successfully overcome 
our our interaction with these things, and that is why they haunt us to this day. What do you mean by that? Like, um, do you mean that we haven't, we're, we're not able to process dealing with them, or what do you mean? Yeah, I think that is that that's a good point. I think that we we can't process that they are out there. You know, that's something that we don't want to. It doesn't make any sense that they're out there. You know, to, to us. Um, and, and I think that that is just that's a terrifying thing. Um, I was uh, uh, doing a lot of research into Whitley Strieber uh, whenever I was uh, writing my one fairy book because a lot of my a lot of uh, events that surround fairy activity sounds a lot like um, UFO encounters, alien abduction, alien abductions, absolutely. So most all these abductions take place out in the woods out in the middle of nowhere mm -hmm. you know there's these strange lights that are seen but um i really like whitley Strieber's communion because he's a writer so he can be very very specific about certain things and he described these creatures smelling as of cinnamon um and he described the spaceships having a very earthy smell to it almost like freshly turned over dirt mm -hmm. and now i'm thinking about that why would visitors from another planet have these kind of smells that were very natural so i'm starting to think that the line is so blurred that there are a lot of these things that we call ghosts and a lot of these categories that we call cryptids and, hu and humanoids and i think it's very possible they all come from the same source what about this? Let me let me uh, ask you guys this, and you can weigh in on it, Barton, Ron, whoever. It, it, you get people, okay, like I was talking to a preacher, right, and, I, and he was telling me, he was Methodist, or he became, he became non-denominational, but he was telling me one day that everything is basically demonic. You know, he was defining it as everything was basically demonic. But I noticed something about, not just with him, but with a lot of of Christian people in general, and I am I define myself I am a Christian, but I'm not attacking my fellow Christians, but a lot of them aren't really spiritual. The the New Testament in particular, the Old Testament and New Testament, but New Testament in particular, Jesus talks about the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. It's it's over and over again. But these these uh, people they seem to be very closed minded about spirituality. Like if you talk about anything half of them are just like oh that's not that's hokey that's not true that's not real or it's a demon there is no middle there's nothing it's just some sort of demon and that's it or they just flat out don't believe in it now they, it, that mirrors the scientific community in a lot of ways because in in science now i was talking to a friend of mine's dad who used to work for nasa and he was like very everything was just flesh and blood. There was no spirit. He was a spiritual atheist. And we got into a, a deep discussion as I got older, me and him, we, we talked one day um, and it was at a wedding, you know, probably about 15 years ago. And we, 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 we argued not, not, not viciously argued, but we disagreed at the table and kind of, kind of people were taking sides like, well, what about this? What about this? And I was laying out the argument there. And one of the things I said was, I said, you know, that everything is vibration. You accept that. You believe that. And you know that everything, you know, things vibrate on a different level. And you even admit that the eyes can only see and process as a human, you know, so, so much. So that means that there's a lot that could be there that we don't see. So why would you discount that there could be something else? And this guy even had an, an incident happen in his house that he could not explain. Something, his, his, uh, 
one of his cupboards opened up in front of him and his wife and two cans of, I think it was peaches or something came, came flying out and hit the, hit the uh, counter. And one of them like opened up like a can of peaches. Now you could say when he hit the ground and his son, who's was a friend of mine was like, you know, he goes, dude, what about that? Dad, you, you can't explain that. And he goes, well, anomalous, weird anomalous things happen that we can't explain. Okay. Well, that's basically an admission that this stuff is real. You know, I mean, now their house that they lived in out in the country, they didn't live there anymore, but I believed it was haunted. I'd been out there a few times, you know, and there were some weird things that happened. Like we were riding four wheelers there one time and we saw a tree branch just go all the way down and then fly up and there was nothing on it. Um, and so I thought that was just, we were all looking at each other like, what was that? You know, like it was weird. Like it was right there in front of their house and it was this really creepy old tree and so there were anomalous things that were going on, but this is a man of science, right? So he couldn't admit that this was real. Just like the the preacher that, that you know, when I was a kid, um, where I guess I was a teenager or whatever, but he was telling me, you know, oh, I don't really believe in all that. That can't be, this can't be, that can't be. Um, because it was my dog man encounter and, and he used to teach at the Christian school that I went to when I was younger. And so my mom had kind of got me in touch with him and had me tell the story of what I had seen. And he just, you know, well, it's a demon, you know, that's all there is to it. And that's, it's just a demon, you know? And, and so there's no explaining it from either side of this, you know, whether they're a cre creationist or an evolutionist, they both kind of come to the same conclusion that it's just poppycock. And you're just like, okay, so that kid that puts me at square one. I don't have any kind of, you know, I had to find my own answers because I wasn't going to find them from the church and I wasn't going to find them through science, even though both of their doctrine kind of tells you that, 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 that this is real. Well, I mean, like a man of science, he's got to know that we are all vibration and, and things can, can vibrate on a level where we can't see with the naked eye. So, I mean, that's kind of an admission to me, you know, and, but just, just as in the Bible, it should be right there. Jesus says over and over again that there is, Spirit, 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 you know, but there just seems to be like this, well, we're just going to throw it out because it's not in our everyday mundane life so that, that it's not really real. But yet there are thousands, millions of people, I mean, across the globe, you know, that see and hear things that we cannot explain. I'm talking like, I got a friend from Hong Kong who gave me a vampire story. Well, I mean, that their version of a vampire, but it's like, dude, it, it, this happens all over the world every day these weird things that we can't explain, but yet there's still all these people that are just in complete and absolute denial, whether it be science-based or religion-based or just whatever their own view. I mean, I just don't understand why it's so hard to accept. Right. I think that is, that that's going to take a lot to unpack this. Uh, Barton, would you want to take it from here, buddy, before I, before I weigh in? <laughs> well, I can tell you my own view. You ever heard of Occam's razor? Oh, yes. So it's the uh, idea that the simplest explanation must be or is likely the correct one. So in my view, um, the religious aspect explains everything about these inhumanoids to perfection. So if a man of science tries to explain these things, he won't be able to do it unless he does believe in uh, God or Satan. There's a, there's two dimensions that we're dealing with here. It's the physical dimension and the spiritual dimension. So instead of having 10,000 inhumanoids all popping in through portals from 10,000 different dimensions, it's much simpler to believe that 
they all come from the same source and are just different manifestations uh, to get the witness to have a paradigm shift and to get the witness to be thinking and believing something that's not real. And I can tell you each one what the paradigm shift is with Bigfoot and UFOs and ghosts, but that's just me. So I'm, I'm a Christian too. I believe in God. I believe in the reality of the spirit world. It's just as natural as this world we're in now, but we just can't see it. So the Bible tells us that everything you see with your eyes, everything that you can see, sky, trees, are well, it's all temporary. But all the things that are invisible, those are the things that are eternal. So to me, it's very simple. If, if you're a man of faith as I am, it, you know, I've had 50 years to think about all this, and that's the explanation that I come up with. It's, just, it's all comes back to good versus evil. And that everything's biblical, even though you might not be able to see it right now. But in the end, everyone will see that all this stuff is biblical in nature. And you believe um, that the spirit world, hold on one, one second, Ron, I don't, I don't want to cut cut in, uh, but I wanted to say something and just to add to what, what so if, if everything we are experiencing is of a spiritual nature, um, that that is our true essence, our true form, I believe that. Um, and here's another thing. I don't know what you think about this, Ron, but I wanted to throw this in there before you started to talk because I want you to chew on this too. Another thing that a lot of people seem to t tend to do is they like to quote the Native Americans. They were smarter than we were about the earth. They had all this uh, understanding and connection to the earth. But as soon as they started talking about Sasquatch, Skookum, you know, Nindalushi and all these other, then people are like, oh, yeah, that's just a bunch of crazy nonsense, you know. It's like, okay, so which is it? Were they really, really uh, connected to the earth and really informed? And are they correct in, in how they view the world? Or is it just all a bunch of nonsense that they believe and it's all a bunch of ho ho hokey stuff or whatever? I mean, it's like people want to have their cake and eat it too. Because, you know, the natives would have a better grasp and a better understanding of this ground that we're standing on because it was theirs for thousands of years where, you know, as opposed to how long we've been here, but these people, they want to like pick and choose. It's like they want to believe in Bigfoot because the natives say Bigfoot's real, but natives also say that it's a spirit. So and then then they're like, oh, well, yeah, but, the, but they didn't really know what they were talking about. I believe that they knew what they were talking about, but they really didn't know what they were talking about. And so you're just, it's really confusing because I've talked to researchers and authors who are totally like the like, yeah, the natives here even said that this, this, and that. Oh, okay, well, then then it's a spirit. No, 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 no. That that part's wrong. They, they got that wrong. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what? Like, how? <laughs> like, yeah. what? So what is it then? Which which side of the sandwich are you on? I mean, I don't, it's just, it's like it's cherry picking. I don't know, Ron, now you go ahead. I'm sorry for babbling. Go ahead. Well, no, no, no. It's not babbling at all. These are all very pertinent questions that need to be asked and at least attempted to be answered. Um, I truly, I mean, I, I believe I'm a, I'm a, a Christian as well too. Um, a, a cradle Catholic actually. Um, and, uh, I would not be able to pursue a, a interest in the paranormal unless I had that spiritual, um, aspect about me, because I truly believe a lot of things that people don't talk about anymore is the idea of spiritual warfare. That there is, and like Barton said it uh, beautifully, there's this idea of this invisible world that kind of interlaps with our world and interacts with our world. And the idea that every day 
there is a constant struggle for souls or for for whatever. There, there's 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 a, a, a fundamental belief that there's a good against evil in this world. And I think that we kind of, you know, draw from that because that's very quaint. You know, we live in a scientific world, you know, that's that's awesome, you know, but um kind of pat us on the butt and send us on our way because, you know, we're 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 little children because we don't understand uh, the way science works. Um, but when we go back, you know, when we go back to the Middle Ages and we go back into the Renaissance, um, fairies were seen as fallen angels, uh, especially in Western Europe. Uh, uh, in the, the jinn, uh, there were uh, still intact um, uh, Islamic tracts on how you would exercise a jinn from around your house or, you know, with someone if it occupies a body. So the idea that these creatures, these entities, were linked with the realm of spirituality is very common until relatively recently. The same way, absolutely, Josh, the same way with the idea of Bigfoot. This was a conduit between two worlds. Uh, some uh, uh, cultures saw it as a conveyor of souls from one world to the next. Um, even though it would be able to take on human form, for the most part, it was a transcendental creature. And people don't like to admit that kind of stuff because whenever you throw spirituality in there, that, for whatever reason, seems to detract from science. But I think that it shows science on a much fuller level. You know, science, and science too is a belief, right? It's a faith system as well, too. Um, but I think that when we take science and we put it together with faith, we're getting very close to the reality of what's going on in the world around us. So when it comes to like, yeah, I agree too. I agree with what you just said. Perfect sense. Um, you put it very well. That's why I like you, Ron. You're, 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 you're too smart. <laughs> you're one of the smartest guys in this field, man. You're definitely one of the unsung heroes too. Folks, check out Ron's work. I'm telling you, it's, it's not to be, you can't overstate Ron. It's, it's pretty, uh, so, Here's another thing for you, for you, Ron. And so me and Barton have already talked about this at length. The dog man is often seen near cemeteries. And now I'm getting ready to do an episode on the show about that, about, and, and it's not about dog man, but about just about things that happen in cemeteries because the, the, I had somebody telling me, and I've had so many conversations with so many people about all these different subjects. And she was telling me, well, cemeteries aren't haunted. And I said, yes, they are. She goes, no, they're not. Because the, the people that have died don't live, they're not there in the cemeteries. I was like, cemeteries are full of emotions. Um, that's where you lay to rest your loved ones. That's where many, many people have gone to cry. Um, that's where people go to pay homage to the dead. And so, yes, they are haunted because I I am of the opinion that blood and emotions will saturate the environment. That's why a house becomes haunted when something, when someone dies, there's blood that's spilled there. Something negative happens, not necessarily by the person that was killed. It could have been by, it could be inhabited by, uh, some sort of demonic, uh, energy or entity, I should say, or like you, you know, you were saying some sort of elemental spirit. It just depends, you know? Um, and they, they feed on that emotion. They feed on that energy. There's an energy that's released, and so I was making the argument with this person. She's supposedly a psychic person that claims that they don't, they're not, they don't 
haunt cemeteries. And I told her, I was like, there's case after case after case of people going into cemeteries and, and having things happen to them. My, my nephew, he ended up with an attachment from one of those when he hung out in one when he was a teenager. Um, so, I mean, you know, it, 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 and she goes, well, if you want to make that argument, you know, there's department stores that are haunted too. I said, absolutely. There are department stores that are haunted. I've done a show on that called this mall is haunted. Um, but you know, it, you, you make the case, why are there so many encounters in cemeteries? Like there has to be something to that. And Dogman is often seen in places like, uh, where, you know, people bury their dead. You know, so why is that? I mean, that's one of the things that Linda has talked about in her books. It's one of the things that I discussed with her. That's one of the things that me and Barton have talked about. Um, they're often found near burial mounds. Dogmen are seen near cemeteries. I, I have about three or four stories just, you know, I could just rattle off the top of my head of of, of dogmen being encountered in and around cemeteries. And, and there has to be something to that. Zolotl. He was the, uh, the, 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 the dog headed God, you know, for the Aztecs, uh, Anubis, the, the, from the Egyptians, you know, it, there, there's, I mean, these are two different cultures from thousands of miles apart and different continents, but yet they have the same sort of, uh, symbolism, the same sort of deity, you know, it's like this, this, uh, dog headed canid type creature that is the guardian of the dead. I propose that it could have been from the Anunnaki. You know, that they, when they were here, they used these, which to me would be the fallen angels, basically. They used these dog-headed type creatures to guard their uh, their portals, their stargates, which is which, which was literally the separation between the physical and the spiritual, which to me is the, the land between the living and the dead. Living as in having and inhabiting a physical body. And dead actually is not really the proper term, but just being... Physic, I don't know. What would you, what would you call it? Like uh, physically uh, challenged? <laughs> like, I don't know, you know, living challenged. I don't know how you would call it. Spiritual. You're in your your true form. Basically, you've shed your your body, your human, your essence, skin, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I had somebody propose something to me today that it was very interesting when I was talking to somebody, and she said that. What if some of these people that go missing, because, you know, in the in, in the Japanese forest where people kill themselves, um, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. There's a forest there that people go to suicide themselves. They call it the suicide forest. Now, a lot of these people are deeply troubled. Like you were talking about, you know, Paracelsus saying that, um, you know, that there's mental illness. Well, I think mental illness can also be attributed to some of these cases. But what if these people are basically, they've checked out spiritually. And they're basically just, uh, you know, a, a vessel for a, a, an entity who's just walking around basically wearing their skin suit at this point, And they just decide to go back to where they came from or whatever realm that they're from. So they walk off into the woods and they're never seen again. And people are like, whoa, it's, it's an amazing disappearance of some person. But yet really and truly, it's basically just an entity who was inhabiting a human body and just decided they didn't want to do it anymore. And so they just walk off into the woods and go missing because some of these people are mentally ill. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're actually preaching to the choir. You said that beautifully. The idea that somebody can be so broken and so lost that that soul, that enlivening force within them, that divine spark is somehow suppressed. 
and you become an empty vessel. And you know, we even have the what what Jesus tells us in the in the New Testament, what happens to people, you know, whenever they you know, these empty spaces or where these creatures, these entities crawl into, right? Um, I think we are getting very close to the reality behind these creatures. I, I truly think that we are uh, when we're having this discussion. Um, and the cemetery is one of those very odd things. But when you look across, like you said, across cultures, across time and across space, these creatures are always associated with the abode of the dead, right? If they're always associated with that cusp in life between this world and that world, the liminal zone, if you will. Um, this is a, a tell that I, I have uh, regarding uh, a dogman incident. And, and um, this was very early on in my career. I was out with another paranormal investigator uh, to an area that had a supposed a werewolf sighting and actually i think that this was so long ago that dogman was not part of our our everyday vernacular so this was somebody saw something down there that they were, thought they were a a, a a werewolf so uh me and another uh, another gentleman we went down there to investigate the area um and it was pitch black um it was it was a dark dark night uh until we start noticing these little orbs uh, following us as we walked. Um, this was the beginning of October. It's possible there were insects out there, but this was something a lot different. It was more different. There was, you know, it seemed to have a bioluminescence to it. Uh, there was blue colors. There was green colors. And whatever the case was, they were. It was following us. So we come to a clearing um, out of the woods, and all of a sudden, in the sky around us. Now, whenever I say the sky, I'm talking about maybe 11 or 12 feet above us. If we had a ladder, we could probably climb it and reach this. But it appeared as if there was concentrated static electricity around us. Um, like whenever you pull the covers off of a bed, those kind of sparks. Um, and we knew instinctually it's time to get the heck out of there. You know, no heroics for us tonight. You know, we were looking for a werewolf, but now something else was happening. Something very strange was happening. So, as we turn around to get back to where we parked, which had to go through the woods, um, we see a very bright white light um, emanate on the path, on, on the path, you know, on the trail to get back to our car. Um, it was we measured it after the fact; it was about eight feet off the ground. But it was a very, very bright light that kind of glittered on. It didn't stay illuminated very long before it kind of glittered and faded away to nothing. So we looked at each other. We thought this is extremely odd. It's actually kind of frightening, but we have to get back to our vehicle and there's no other way to do it because there's only one way in and one way out. And that's that way. Um, so as we approach the area where the light illuminated um, off to our right, something begins to follow us in the woods. Um, we could hear it snarling. Um, we, we could tell that it was big. Now, remember now, we did not physically see what was in the woods, but our, our brains kind of informed us what was out there, if that makes any sense. Either it was projecting the vision into our heads, or we somehow knew uh, from a very primal level what was out there. But whatever was out there, we knew it was in wolf shape you know we understood that it was a predator and we were the prey so it was so dark out there we were afraid to turn on our flashlights that we ended up getting off the trail 
except something got us back on the trail, and that was a voice that called my name that emanated from a cemetery that was off to our left. Hearing that, hearing that sound, we were able then to we we turned towards that sound, and then we got back onto the path and we made it out of there. But that is my dogman story, and again, we see the elements of this is a very gray area whenever it comes to the paranormal. Right? Are we seeing? Are we seeing ghosts? Are we seeing um, you know portals? Are we seeing dogmen? Or is it all the above? And I truly think it's all the above. I think that the, the static electricity that we had seen and that bright light opening up, for lack of a better word, was a portal that allowed what was ever following us to come into our world. And now the intervention of the unseen voice, the disembodied voice, I have no idea what to make of that, unless you would come out uh, spiritually and say that it was a guardian angel of some kind. But yeah, that's what I had to deal with, and it really does kind of show that not only is there a gray area to this whole thing, but there's also this this overwhelming focus on the world of the dead and the darkness and the out-of-the-way places and the idea that we were going to be a prey for a, a predator that for whatever reason came into our world. What you just said, though, gave me the chills because it there's two there's two stories that come to mind about what you just said, and one of them is very brief. My nephew uh, was living in New Orleans, and he had uh, an experience, which I'm going to get into. More, it's going to be more detailed in my in the book, but he saw this thing that looked like a a dog man, but it was like a shadow. And then there's another one that comes to mind. There was a, there was, and I just got this one not too long ago, but I, this one is, this one is along a thread of about three different uh, types. Um, one was the, the the most dramatic, which I got recently, because I had originally just gotten a little email, so I eventually got around to responding. And this woman went into detail about her her she took care of her grandma. Her, she was raised by her grandmother. Her grandmother and her mom, her mother had had died from cancer when she was young, so she was raised by her grandparents. Her grandfather died tr- tragically in an accident, so it was just her and her grandmother for a long time, and then her grandmother passed away, and she left her this house. This house is in Louisiana. Now there had been, as long as she could remember, stories. You know of I know you you know what this is the Lugaru, yeah of of, of this thing that would come onto the property and. She remembers one day when she was little sitting on a swing and outside talking to her friend who lived with them temporarily, which would, which was about, she was about 10 years older than her and was a friend of her mother's and it was like almost like a second daughter to her mom or whatever. And they were sitting on a swing and they, she says, do you see this? Uh, and she looks and she's like, she's not really sure what she's looking at. She thought it was like a giant firefly. But it turned into like like a bigger, bigger orb. And it was like or- a yellowish orange and it got bigger and bigger. And next thing you know, they see like these legs and then this thing kind of plops out of it. And it's not like an oversized werewolf. Like it's not like this hulking beast. It's about six foot tall, you know. Um, and it just kind of like lopes. I say lope. That's my word. But she said it kind of hopped. But it just the way she described its locomotion like went off into the woods, you know. And I, I said, that's weird because why didn't it just appear in the woods? Why did it appear at the at, on the lawn, you know, 40 yards away, so whatever, because they have this big lawn, she was telling me. And and so then it, then it drops off into the woods, you know, then it runs off into the woods. I said, it obviously wanted you to see it. 
Well, that began the the first of of several encounters she had with it. That each one, to me, when she began to talk about them, became became in, increasingly aggressive, to the point where after her grandmother had passed, she heard this is really creepy. She heard the door open to her, to the front door. Um, she was expecting her boyfriend. Okay, so she had left the door open and she was upstairs doing something, and it was an old house. So she told her boyfriend, hey, just the door's going to be open, don't, you know, whatever. And then she said within five minutes, the door opened and she's like, that's weird because he lived in the next town over. And so she was like, that that can't be him. So she calls him up, you know, and says, hey, you know, he's like, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm about to jump in the shower. He hasn't even like gotten ready. And she's like, oh my gosh. So something is in the house. She's like, well, I thought I heard something. So she looks over the the railing. She doesn't see anything. But then she hears a voice behind her that was clearly her grandmother. Clearly. And she, and she told her, I don't want to say her name, but she she said uh, her name. And then she said, because I don't know if I have permission to say her name yet or not. But she said her name. And then she says, you need to run. She's like, wow. it's in the house. And she's like, run. And she's like, hide. And then she she's like, she, she said she had a pet name that her grandmother would tell her when she was you know, like trying to get her to to move her butt, basically. And so she said, Bedbug, that's what she called her. So she was like, Bedbug, you need to move. And that's when she knew. She's like, okay, this is my grandmother. And her grandmother had died two and a half years before that. So she ran and got in the closet and she called 911, which she lived kind of out in the, on, the, on the edge of town. It was a sheriff's department in, in, in the parishes she lived in because they, they don't have counties, they have parishes. And so she called the, 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 the local, you know, sheriff's department, whatever. And, um, she said, finally, you know, she hears a knock on the door and, and the, the police showed up, they had showed up and right around the same time her boyfriend had showed up too, like right after that, they, he came and, um, she said that they, they, they searched the whole house. She was terrified, you know, she was absolutely terrified. And she said that night, like she got up to use the restroom and, and down at the end of the hallway, she sees this creature. The way she described it was like, um, and it's funny, it's not funny, to, but it, my grandparents saw a creature similar to that near Alexandria, which would be a couple of hours from, from this place. But th- she said that it looked hyena-like, but not quite, you know? And she said that it was just, it was ugly and it had like a, almost like a, a like a troll looking thing, but like, like, but more like a canine. And so she described it almost as like, if you took an orc from Lord of the Rings and mixed it with a werewolf, Um, it was pretty creepy. And she said the thing was snarling at her. And she said that that was the second time that it had made mental communication with her. And it told her, I was like, I'll get you. Don't worry. And she's like that day, she's like, I put the house on the market. I went to live with my boyfriend and I never looked back. She said, I sold that property. And she said that her grandmother had told her that there was a Lugaru that had that was in the area, but it it, it so you know up until the point where it had been in her her husband's family, and they knew about it. And according to her grandmother's story, it was at one time a living being that was a a female uh, a witch that had that was from her her husband's, which would have been this is the woman that told me the story that would have been her grandfather that died. It was like his great aunt and like she either conjured it up or it was her. I don't know the whole, you know, but that's a crazy story because when she was telling me, and I just got that one not too long ago, so I haven't had a chance to 
process that and make it into episodes. But I just, when you said that, that just really, that was, that freaked me out because, you know, I've, I've had multiple people who've seen things in cemeteries, but you know, my own nephew had a dog man experience in a, in a cemetery. So that was interesting that you had said that, you know, that it was in a cemetery, it was, you know, what you saw and that you heard something talking to you. That's right. That's yeah, right. Dude. And the idea of the, the, of, uh, the lights as well too, which would be thrown out by a lot of investigators. If I was of the camp that this is a flesh and blood creature, I'm not going to pay any attention to the idea of the lights because that doesn't make any sense to me. What makes sense is when we take everything into account and see how these common elements appear again and again and again. Exactly. And you know, LBL, down to LBL, as active as that is, uh, with the dog man, uh, there's over 200 cemeteries in that place. And the alleged kill site of the family that was murdered back in the 80s is just below an old cemetery. So, and also, I found a, another correlation between uh, the appearance of these humanoids and cemeteries and also bodies of water and underground tunnels or caves seem to be present in a lot of these, a lot of these, you know, people seeing these things. And a lot of the instances where these things seem to manifest more often is, is in the areas where they, that hold these cemeteries or, or water. Or, or tunnel systems. And Ron, to, to answer to like what Barton just said, he's absolutely right about that. Like, like I've noticed that like with water, like, like, okay, like this, like the story I just told about the Luger, the Rougarou, Lugaru, however you want to say it, you know, it, it, it's, it's sort of near the swamp, you know, wasn't, wasn't far, you know, from it. Um, they seem to like these swampy areas, you know, like, I mean, it's just, is there, what, what is that? Well, I, well, I know that if you, especially when we look at parts of uh, Northern Europe, uh, it was very uh, a regular occurrence that you would bury your dead in bogs because it would preserve the body, and that happened in places in Ireland, England, you know, uh, up in up in the uh, uh, Scandinavian countries as well too. And interestingly enough, it also happened in uh, Florida of all places. Now, that is the idea that you're trying to preserve somebody for the afterlife now there's a lot of native americans uh that have the idea that the water um is a uh a barrier between this world and the next world so when we talk about cherokee legends they saw the water as a way a conduit between two worlds you know our world and the other world that lays uh, beyond the surface of those waters um, and also when we look at, you know, and we're talking about far-flung cultures here. We talk about uh, the Aztec culture. You know, they buried their dead underground as well, too, in cave systems uh, a lot of the times because they believed that the person was going back to the very womb from what it rose from. And that's also common in Celtic cultures as well, too. So the idea that the earth, you know, the deep recesses of the earth, is going into the world, the abode of the dead, and that water somehow is that barrier between one world and the other, I think it starts making a lot of sense whenever you look at this. Because whenever you talk to ghost hunters nowadays, 
You know, they say one of the common elements within, you know, ghostly manifestations is having water nearby because it apparently serves as some sort of energy, uh, you know, some sort of battery in which uh, manifestations can occur, some sort of kinetic energy that holds power. Um, but it is a common element in mythologies from around the world and in the paranormal as well, too, uh, in the modern era. So there has to be something to this. Definitely. Right. Water symbolizes uh, life in many cultures as well. It does. It does. Yeah. And the idea of, of, you know, water and flame, you know, you have that as a part of so many different religions as well, too. So there's definitely a sacredness uh, to water as well. Um, you know, so when we talk about these things, especially from a, a, a uh, the idea of spiritual warfare, you know, you can see this as, because I, I don't know if you folks know about a lot of the folklore regarding like fairies and even vampires, but it's been said that fairies and vampires cannot cross running water. Have you ever heard that folklore before? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that goes to the idea that, you know, water is a sacred source. Um, but it, it, water does indeed have power, and we see this element creeping up again and again and again, and uh, to kind of put a little bit more hackles on you, uh, that sighting that I had, um, whenever we saw the light uh, uh, emanating on the trail, uh, we were out in the middle of the opening because we were on a bridge, and underneath us flowed the Connemar River. How about that? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things I wanted to point out too, though, and I wanted to get y'all's take on this, I, this is my take on it. And, and I've had people ask me this many times and they'll say, well, sometimes these spirits, you know, because if, if they're bad and they're all bad and you shouldn't deal with them, um, why is it that, you know, they don't all seem to get along? And now a lot of people will say, well, that's just a trick. That's a trick of the devil to try to make you believe. I personally don't subscribe to that. And I'll tell you why I tell people this. I said, dude, if I'm, if I'm in a gang, okay. If I was a gang member and you were like, you know, the 12th street posse or whatever, you know what I mean? And there was the seventh street posse and the ninth street posse. You're all bad guys, but you don't necessarily like each other. Now, I know this from experience. You're not going to, you know, Bloods and Crips, they'll kill each other, but that don't make them my friends. You know, I'm not, I don't like either one. I don't like the 12th Street Posse or the whatever gang, you know, whatever. You know what I mean? It, it's just different gangs. I mean, really and truly, they're all bad. If you were if you were looking at it from the lens of you're the good guy, say you're the law enforcement or whatever, you're not going to look at it as like, yeah, well, you know, the 12th Street Posse and the 7th Street Posse, oh, that gang over there, you know, they're benign. And this gang over here, they're bad Be because they're both doing the same thing. They're both robbing and killing and selling drugs. You're not going to look at it. And I'm not picking on any particular gang, you know, whatever. I'm just saying, like, the, the, that that's how you look at it. I mean, just because they kill each other doesn't mean that they're not, you know, your enemy. Um, it's all the same to us, I guess. Yeah. But they are, they do do that. They do fight with each other. It's not like they're all friends. And I've seen this firsthand. Like I've, I've noticed that like, they don't really play well together. You know what I mean? Like I lived in a house that, that I'm thousand percent. It's absolutely was haunted. If you're haunting, even the word, it was like, there was all kinds of activity going on there. Okay. And when someone would come over who was like this one woman, she was, 
uh, she practiced the occult. Let's put it that way. And she was very open about it. And she wore a pentagram. She got attacked in my house. And she was just really uh, kind of haughty about it and arrogant and was like, well, I have things that protect me and nothing's going to hurt me and blah, blah, blah. And she comes into my house and a couple hours later, you know, we're all having drinks and stuff. There's about 10, 12 people there and something pulls her hair. And then she she freaked out. Next thing you know, the footfall, the phone, We you know, back in the day, kids nowadays don't know this, but we used to have phones that were landlines, you know, that, the, oh, yeah. that you would pick up and push the button or, or even dial. You know, you don't do that anymore. But I had this old uh, landline phone, you know, sitting there, and I don't even know if it was still in use, but it was just there on the on, – and it fell on her foot, and it cut her foot. And she's like, I could get out of here. The energy's not good. And I'm like, okay, you're wearing pentagrams for earrings and you're talking about the energy's not good. <laughs> you know? And I was like, what happened to your protection? I was like, obviously the 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 crap that's in this house doesn't doesn't give a crap about your protection, or maybe what you brought with you antagonized it and it just they didn't get along. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it doesn't make either side good. You know, I'm not saying they're both bad. It's black on black, you know, it's it's dark on dark. But it's still, you know, like that's what I was trying to explain, you know, to some people, they don't really understand that. You know, it's like there's two countries that can go to war and neither one of them is a good guy. <laughs> I mean, that happens in history like all the time. Like, you know, people are like, well, there has to be a white hat and a black hat. Not necessarily. Sometimes everyone's wearing a black hat. And so, you know, I explained in her boyfriend, you know, who's a friend of ours. Well, he was a friend of a friend, but he was cool. I knew him. But. He he was like, well, I got to go. You know, she's out in the car freaking out and whatever. And I was like, well, she came into the house talking a bunch of about how she's protected by her spirits, you know, and she's got all these pentagrams and all this stuff on her. And I knew that what was in that house wasn't, wasn't a good guy. I can tell you that. So, you know, I, whatever it was, didn't, didn't give a crap about her protection or, you know, whatever. I don't know how that works, but, you know, and then she went on to tell her boyfriend, his name was Brad, but. She went on to tell Brad, and then Brad told me and a couple of the guys that worked at the club, you know, back in the day. Uh, he told they, they, they told us, me and my brother, and I think it was Scorpion Squid, and, and she, he said, hey, you know, she claims that whatever was in y'all's house has been coming to her and attacking her and, and messing with her familiars or whatever, I guess her spirit familiars or whatever. And I was like, well, yeah, they're probably, they don't all get along, dude. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm sure that's how it works. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like a germ, you know, if you, if you look at like bacteria, they're like in a spot and you, you add other bacteria to that area, they're going to fight. Cause it's right. like, this is my spot. This is mine. I have this spot here. It, it doesn't matter because human beings, literally, we are the only species on the entire planet, physically species, species that believes in going to each other's territory and not expecting the death penalty. <laughs> there is no other species on earth from the smallest bacteria to the largest blue whale. We're the only ones that go, Hey, I'm just going to go over here to this other country and this other land and just be here. Um, why do you guys not want me here? Oh, I don't get it. Well, that's because it's not natural, you know, visit. Yeah. But like, you know, just basically going, taking over someone else's territory that's, you know, that's a death penalty in the, in the animal kingdom. If you're sure. a lion and you, you're in a pride of lions and you go to the other, uh, uh, what's it called? The mag, what's it called? The, what's it, what is a pride called? The, um, uh, forgot what it's called. Starts with an M or something. But anyway, they go into each other's territory, uh, Mapagos or whatever. Is that what it's called, Ron? I think that's what it's called. When they go to each other's territory, they're going to be killed. 
you know, and, oh, yeah. and the lions know that hyenas too. Hyenas know that there are other clans that they, that that's their territory and they just stay out of it is just as well as they would stay out of a lion's territory. It's the same thing, the same species, but they don't, they don't play well together, you know, and that's kind of how I look at these creatures or these entities. I mean, like the, people have reported to me seeing goblin type entities fighting with other like creatures like dogman and fighting with Bigfoot. And they're like, Oh, that's proof. The Bigfoot are trying to protect us. Like, no, it's not. That is not proof at all. That just means that they don't like each other, but they really don't like you. Um, That's right. You know, this one lady was trying to tell me, she was up in Oregon saying, you know, oh, I saw a Bigfoot uh, chasing off a dog man, what looked like a dog man. He's protecting my my property. And I'm like, yeah, right. I was like, yeah, well, go out there and give it a good old kiss and a hug and a reward <laughs> and let's see how, how appreciative it is, you know. That's right. Mm. Um, a lot of people open themselves up to this, too. The woman that came into your house was already predisposed to the idea of spirits and opening herself up to energies out there. And sometimes whenever you open yourself up to that, you cannot um, necessarily be the gatekeeper and decide who's going to come in as well. I think that's a problem uh, when we come into the field as well, too, which is the reason why I'm glad that we had a discussion about our faith at the very beginning. Like I said, I would not go into any investigation unless I was a person of faith because we don't know what we're dealing with here. And I know damn well that me as a human being is not going to be strong enough to defeat these things, whether they're flesh and blood or spiritual, what have you. So I'm glad there's something else on my side as well, too. Some people uh, approach this as, you know, almost like uh, the ghost hunter shows on television, that they can go into some place and be very aggressive and very, you know, uh, um, open and call them out. That's never a good thing for anybody. And I think whenever you go into a situation and say that I'm protected, I've saged myself, that's kind of like being um, aggressive towards another entity. And sometimes you draw a figurative, you know, imaginary line in the sand and something's going to take you up on that. Okay, folks. So that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, Tune into the next episode where I return with my guests and with Barton Nunley. And thank you for listening to PRT. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Good night.